The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's good, everybody? Welcome to episode number 23 of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, and with me on this wonderful Tuesday is Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, BLG? Stats, the Super Bowl is over. The season is over. Everyone is 0-0 zero zero again. Turn the page. And uh, I just want to give credit here to the listeners who came out in support of the SB Nation NFL show last week. We asked you to help us get over the 100 rating mark. You did. We're at 118 now. There's a bunch of new reviews, too. I want to read a couple here for you stats at the top of the show. This is from Amir underscore S, who says, uh, what's not to like? Uh, love Michael Kiss and BLG Pods. Also listening to RJ and the rest of Cowboys Nation being sad is quite, le- is quite the weekly uplift. So uh, some nice <laughs> Cowboys hate in there. Another one from That Boyd Riz who says, because BLG asked five stars. That's simple. That's all you need to do. You just need to go into Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, uh, leave a little written review, and uh, we appreciate it. What is it like wielding that kind of power? It's nice. You know, some would say like I'm the Tom Brady of uh, podcasting. You know, I just I just come in here and everyone uh, the success is easy to me. And really stats, uh, you know, I, I tried to tell everyone here that the Buccaneers were going to win the Super Bowl. And I I listened to the Super Bowl uh, reaction podcast you did with your co-host, RJ, and he tried to take all the credit for being really the only person to truly pick the Buccaneers to win. I want to read you exactly what I said a couple weeks ago, Stats. Uh, here we go. This is it, verbatim. Now listen, Tampa Bay fans, if you're listening to this, remember, there is no way your team is going to lose the Super Bowl. 100% lock. The Bucks are going to win the Super Bowl. There's no question. It's going to be a blowout even. The game's not going to be close. The Bucks are going to win this thing. Zero doubt in my mind. It's a lock. Now, you can question the motives behind what I said, but objectively speaking, was I wrong? You were not wrong. However, I'd like to point out that your motives completely undermine your case because you were trying to put the whammy on them and you were trying to make a situation where you were right no matter what happened. And I was. So I won. Well, also, if we're going to pull out quotes, do I need to go back to, I think it was the first show of the year (laughs) when you made a big deal out of likening this Super Bowl champion Buccaneers team to the Brooklyn Nets 
with Paul Pierce and I don't even remember the other old guys they had Kevin on the Garnett. team. That's right, Kevin Garnett. Was that you? Well, I mean, those look, those guys did win rings. Maybe not with that team, but you know, they are winners and champions. No. So uh Speaking of champions, by the way, we are going to have a champion on this show because we are very excited. We are going to be joined by Bucks running back Ronald Jones. He will be probably on very little sleep, I imagine, but we appreciate it. So you will hear that later in the program. And are you going to try and take credit with him, BLG? Uh, yeah, I, I never doubted him. I, I never personally doubted Ronald Jones. I mean, these are just fact stats. Like you, people can get mad. I feel like we need a uh, a poll of some sort to really determine here if I, I actually deserve credit or not for this. I don't. I don't know how we're going to set that up, but we should set that up somehow in some form. Um, because look, again, uh, you can say the motives and whatnot, but I still say it's not going to be close. I feel like that's still bold. I didn't have to say that. I could say they're going to win and it's going to be close, but they're going to win. I said, it's going to be a blowout and it was a blowout. It was, it was ugly. It was the biggest blowout. in I think the past 20 years for the Super Bowl. And if you look, the ratings were actually not as great as you would expect, considering it was Brady Mahomes, but it was such a blowout. The people were just like, eh. I mean, the stage was set BLG. You had two Great quarterbacks playing against each other. Tom Brady, who, you know, always moves the meter. Plus, you had like a blizzard on the East Coast. So everybody was inside with nothing to do. It was set for a perfect ratings bonanza. But the game was so out of hand that people just turned it off. Yeah, I think the vibe was off from the beginning is how I would describe it. Like, I just, just things how things were going early on for the Chiefs. Uh or for the Bucks, really against the Chiefs, I was like, yeah, the Bucks are going to win this game. Like it, it just, there wasn't really a lot of drama. I know you talked about it on the the Super Bowl recap podcast. We're kind of just waiting for that shoe to drop for the Chiefs. We're like, okay, this is the turnaround. Okay, this is the turnaround, and it just never came. Obviously, and I think really, uh, sadly, kind of the turning point of the game to me was the field goal penalty. Like you know, the penalty that wiped out. And, and like, cause that was the game right there. Like if, you know, they have to settle for the field goal. Um, that's one whole thing, but you scored the touchdown there. That kind of just totally took the wind out of the chief sales. Any kind of hope they had, I, I felt like they just couldn't come back from that. Like that was the nail in the coffin, even though it was early in the game. Bruce Arians was protected from himself. Cause he should have gone for that fourth down instead of kicking. But because the Chiefs line up offsides, he doesn't have to make that decision. They automatically get the first down, and then they scored, I think, like one or two plays later after that. And you were right. It was it was over from that point on. But why listen to us talk about the Super Bowl when you could listen to someone who played in the Super Bowl? And that's why we are very pleased and privileged to be joined by Ronald Jones, running back from the Super Bowl 55 champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thank you very much for the time today, Ronald. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So, first question, you are on what, four hours sleep right now? <laughs> Maybe even less than that. I'll say about two or three, four, four hours. I'll probably yeah, go three, honestly. That is outstanding work. And you are here with us today on behalf of Michelob Ultra. I imagine that you enjoyed quite a few adult beverages after your championship. <laughs> yes, I, I did enjoy quite a few adult, adult beverages after, uh, yeah, I did that quite a few and so what do you have going on with Michelob? Yeah, I just think uh, preparation starts off the field. And uh, in order to win, you got to be happy. So I'm winning because I'm happy now. And, you know, that's how we got the Super Bowl. Rojo, uh, first of all, is it okay if I call you that? Do you accept that as a nickname? Yeah, yeah, that's cool for sure. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
one of my favorite things. I think a lot of people feel the same way from the Super Bowl was the moment where uh, Anton Winfield throws up the deuces right Ooh, yeah. to Tyreek Hill. I mean, that penalty was worth it, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's just, you know, life comes at you fast, you know, right? You know, you think week 12, uh, you know, he said he did a backflip and all that. And, you know, now in the biggest stage of them all, you know, you know, life comes at you fast. So, yeah, that's, that's all I got to say on that one. <laughs> it was definitely a little chippy out there. We saw Brady getting into it with Tyron Matthew. Did you happen to overhear any of their trash talk during the game? Yeah, I didn't actually. You know, I, I was too, you know, worried trying to get the next play call. Uh, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of passion out there, a lot of competitors. So, you know, that's, that's the game that you want. And, uh, the bloods was definitely boiling. So that was good. I can only imagine, uh, how exciting it is to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I was there a couple of years ago, full disclosure. I'm an Eagles fan here. Sorry, Uh-oh. but, uh, I know, sorry. But, uh, when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, one of the first things that hit me, uh, was like, wow, like this team did it. They were hurt. They could potentially win it again. Spoiler alert. They didn't, but I mean, you look at your bucks here. Um, you, Tom Brady's coming back. Gronk is coming back. I think one of the most exciting things has to be, I'm guessing for you is that not only did you win this year, but you feel like you have a chance to win next year. Is there anything that can stop you guys from repeating? Yeah, I don't think, yeah. The only team that can stop us is ourselves and, you know, coaches tell you we still haven't even played our best full game of football. So that's the scary part. You know, when you look at this group and the talent that we have and, you know, all the golden jackets that we have on this team, uh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, we're just getting started. I was really impressed with how well you guys ran the ball during the game. I mean, you kind of dominated them on the ground. Was that something that you thought you were going to be able to do going in? Or was it more like, hey, this is working, let's keep doing it? Yeah, I think it was uh, more the game plan going in, you know, just with uh, talking with uh, Coach Leftwich. Uh, he wanted to stay balanced and establish the run, like you said. So I think that was one of the focal points, you know, along with the defense, you know, just doing their job as well. Now, obviously, you've celebrated, but normally teams have a parade and they have a whole big thing. But this season was anything but normal. We're still dealing with COVID. Do you know if there's a parade scheduled or what's happening next? Yeah, I don't know if there's a parade, but hopefully we'll find out in the next uh, couple of days. Uh, there's been talk about, you know, maybe having something on the water, you know, uh, you know, down here in Tampa, sunny Florida, you know, the air is a lot nicer, you know, these days. So uh, we'll, we'll see, hopefully we can get that going. Before the Super Bowl, you know, a lot of people are taking the Chiefs. It's like, you know, they're favored, obviously, when it comes to gambling really? and everything. Yeah, well, that's that's what people are saying. <laughs> My co-host here, uh, Stats, he actually picked the Chiefs while I said I said, look, I said there was zero percent chance the Bucks were gonna lose. And I said they were gonna win in a blowout, and you guys did. So I think you should settle the score for us here. Like, do, do I deserve credit for picking the Bucks, having the faith in them? Oh, yeah, them? definitely. Yeah, got to go with <laughs> yeah, the, the, the faith rollers on that one. And uh, you called it, too. You know, uh, you know who would have thought? You know, the Bucks would have thought. So, uh, I think, yeah, just the preparation and the determination. You know, you could see it. You could feel it in the locker room if you were there. Just, uh, you know, what it was going to take in the drive and the willingness, the sacrifices they made uh, for the whole season, like I said, battling COVID and all that. It's definitely worth it. So. Don't give him any credit. He doesn't need a bigger head than he already has. Come on now. Um, let me ask you this. Have you thought about what you want the ring to look like? 
That's another good question. Yeah, I haven't even – yeah, I haven't thought about that. Uh, I just want to know, you know, how many diamonds going to be in it, you know, how big it is, things like that. <laughs> they say, uh, yeah, the, the longer it's been since the team has went, you know, the bigger the ring is. So, uh, it feels good to bring the second one home to Tampa and to be a part of history forever. So, it's just, yeah, it warms my heart, man. So, how does it look now? I mean, like, coming into the year, um, I think there was, you know, there's a lot of – I know there's a lot of fantasy football people out there, like, Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones. You got to get Ronald Jones. And then, you know, Leonard Fournette comes in here, and, like, oh, that's kind of a curveball. Didn't necessarily expect, you know, that to happen, the, the, the Jags to move on from him. And then you also had Shady there. Obviously, he didn't have as big of a role, although he's the second Super Bowl ring now. That's kind of cool for him. Uh, so, yeah. what was the running back uh, room dynamic like, uh, yeah, this season? Yeah, it's definitely competitive, you know uh... – you know, uh, playing with guys like that, uh, like you said, Shady, you know, looking at his resume and his career. Uh, and then, yeah, with Leonard as well. Just, you know, being around those guys and competing every day just drove me to be better. Uh, two former starters and things like you said, like uh, uh, pro bowlers and things like that. So definitely, you know, it's in the locker room and, you know, just elevate the whole team as a whole. We are very grateful for your time today. Again, congratulations. You are here, and we thank Michelob for hooking us up, getting us the chance to talk to you. Last question before we let you go. Has Tom Brady already talked to you about next year and repeating? Uh, he has not, not. Not to me personally, but I know that's definitely on his mind. He said he's coming back. Gronk's coming back. So, uh, hey, let's make history again. Why not? Well, good luck to you. Not too much because I'm a Niner fan, but if the Niners uh, don't win, I'll definitely be rooting for you guys. Thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the championship, and hopefully we can talk to you again soon. Appreciate that, man. Drake Michelob, joy is winning. All right, coming up after the break, the story of the world right now in the NFL is Carson Wentz. We are all sort of waiting to see where Carson Wentz is going to go. So let's get into that. I've got the perfect guy here to dissect everything and get into all the nitty gritty. So we'll get into Carson Wentz. When is he going to go? Where is he going to go? And also, where does he rank in terms of available quarterback options this offseason? The main point of today's episode is going to be Carson Wentz because we're all speaking of waiting for shoes to drop. We're all waiting because he's getting moved. And supposedly he's getting moved this week. So we even delayed recording this show to try and wait to see if Carson would officially get traded before we started recording. That didn't happen. But we're going to get into all of the Carson Wentz news and where he's going to go and and all of that stuff. But before we do BLG, a sad note to pass along. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer, the great, great, great NFL head coach, has passed away at 77 due to complications from Alzheimer's. In my mind, he's one of the best coaches in the history of the NFL who, due to some heartbreaking playoff losses, will never get the full credit that he deserves. Yeah, you had a good uh, way to phrase this, too. Like you You were going off about him when we were talking about this before the show. I just I think he's one of the best coaches of all time. And if he doesn't have some heartbreaking playoff losses, people are going to remember him that way. He coached 21 years. He had two losing seasons. That's it. He couldn't get it done in the playoffs. He got to three AFC championship games, never made a Super Bowl. He's the head coach of the Browns when Elway goes on the drive, which is just a crusher. He was the head coach the next year with the fumble. I mean, the Browns are going into the end zone. That game is done. And and they fumbled. And, of course, we all know what happens. They lose the game. And then he's the head coach of the Chargers against the Patriots in the playoffs where the game is over. The Patriots throw an interception. The Chargers have it. They're going to wrap that thing up. 
and they fumble the ball on the interception return. I think it was Troy Brown either forced the strip or recovered the ball. Patriots get the ball back. They go on to win that game. Just crushing losses that none of which are his fault, by the way. And yet this is how it changes the legacy of Marty Schottenheimer because he doesn't get that championship ring. And it almost reminds me in in a lot of ways of Andy Reid before he won his Super Bowl. I was just going to say that stats. It's almost like a poor man's Andy Reid or just, you know, having gone through Andy Reid as an Eagles fan, uh, kind of knowing what it was like to have all this regular season success, but then not be able to kind of just cap it off finally. And thankfully, Andy did last year, uh, wasn't able to repeat this year to the chagrin of Pete Swinney and many others. Um, But when you talk about the legacy of Marty Schottenheimer, I mean, look at his coaching tree here, stats. You have Bill Mm -hmm. Cower on there. Um, and, and then under that, Marvin Lewis, like that, that one is expansive. Ken Wisenhunt, um, you know, even if these guys haven't been the, the most successful head coaches, there's just been a lot of them. Uh, Tony Dungy under him, Herm Edwards under him, Mike McCarthy, uh, Tony Sperano, which then uh, Todd Bowles, who just did a great job in helping really the, the true MVP of the Bucks winning the Super Bowl. And uh, Bruce Arians, too, the head coach of the Super Bowl team. So uh, a legacy that lives on in terms of the coaching tree that he had here. 100%. Like you said, champ- Super Bowl champions on that coaching tree. McCarthy, Arians, Cower, Bowles, I think, is eventually going to get another shot as a head coach also. I mean, he coached 21 years and made the playoffs 13 times. There's only been seven coaches in the history of the league that have more wins than Marty Schottenheimer. He's got more wins than Chuck Knoll. Bill Parcells, Tom Coughlin, Mike Shanahan, Bud Grant, Joe Gibbs. I mean, like people, I think, undervalue him because he didn't have that playoff success. Just a great, great head coach. And by the way, the last season he ever coached in the NFL, he was 14 and two. (laughs) Think about that. He didn't get another job after that. That's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. He never made a Super Bowl like to coach that long and to be that good. But that kind of just goes to show you like part of it's luck, man. Like part yeah. of it is just like you can kind of outline there like the bounces going the wrong way. It's the right place, the right time. And unfortunately, uh, luck was not on his side. So our condolences go out to to his family. Of course, his son, Brian Schottenheimer, is still coaching in the league. And we wish everybody comfort there. Obviously, it's a tough time for for those people. Uh, no easy way to transition, so I'm just going to mention that and move on. Uh, Carson Wentz is dominating the news right now. BLG, this is your world. This is your wheelhouse. I'm seeing, I'm, I'm t- sending you links and pictures of articles. You know better than me. Are we close to a deal? Are we not close to a deal? What is happening? Let me take you through the timeline a little bit here, Stats, because last week, last Monday, uh, as a matter of fact, so the the 1st, I believe, February 1st, I tweeted out something to the effect of, interesting how Carson Wentz has not welcomed Nick Sirianni on Twitter, um, when in the past, there's a really extensive track record of Carson Wentz welcoming, like, literally everyone to Twitter, like, Mm. like on Twitter, I mean, like, in terms of big free agent signings, even players that aren't on the Eagles, like Markel Fultz, Bryce Harper, like just anyone, any kind of prolific athlete that's come to Philadelphia. Now, he's never done it with a coach, but still, uh, when I looked at that and the combined silence of Carson Wentz, who has not spoken since he got benched uh, in the Packers game uh, week 13 or so, 
uh, yeah, it's, it's been all quiet on that front. And all of a sudden, you have Adam Schefter come out last week and talk about how um, he's kind of just guessing. But if he had to guess, he would guess Carson Wentz is traded. That was on local Philadelphia radio, 97.5 here in Philly. And then all of a sudden, you know, it starts to build even more because you have Ian Rappaport talk about how the Eagles are listening to offers. And then you have Les Bowen of the Inquirer talking about how a deal is actually close. And then over the weekend, uh, one of our co- uh, contributors here at, on the SB Nation uh, network, uh, Brandon Robinson from Windy, C- Windy City Gridiron, you know, covers the Bears, was talking about how and has been talking about how like the Bears have been involved in this thing. And, and Nick Foles potentially could be on the table. Um, so there's a lot here in terms of like rumors that are building. And to the point of where it sounded like something was going to happen potentially Monday, it did not. Something could happen today as we're recording this Tuesday. It's 9.55 stats right now as I'm looking at the clock on Tuesday, February 9th. So a lot of things seem to be trending in that direction. But, I mean, at the same time, you have Mike Garofolo come out and talk about how uh, maybe the Eagles aren't getting the best offers that they like. And Mike Lombardi um, talking about how the Eagles offers or, or they're, what the Eagles are looking for is kind of like laughable at this point. So I don't know how close we are. It's an incredible situation that seems to be changing by the minute. I saw an article this morning that said that Doug Peterson <laughs> wanted Carson Wentz back. So I don't know what to believe. I don't know who wanted what. All I know is, for some reason, the Eagles decided it was all Doug Peterson's fault. He got canned, and now we wait. It seems like, uh, at first glance, like the Eagles, you know, fired Doug in part to appease Carson Wentz, and at least you know have the chance of kind of bringing him back on board and fixing him. And I think stats that the Eagles do have interest in keeping Carson Wentz genuinely. But with that said, I think Carson Wentz doesn't want to be here at all. And I don't think he trusts this regime. And while it's been reported that he hasn't formally requested a trade, I mean, that doesn't mean anything to me if he doesn't want to be here. Like, okay, like the, the, the bottom line is he, he pretty clearly to me is not happy here. I don't think he wants to be here. And it's not like the Eagles are going to get rid of Howie Roseman because that's never going to happen, it feels like. <laughs> so I don't know what Carson Wentz is exactly expecting in terms of being here. And I think the the really the only way for the Eagles to move forward is trade Carson Wentz. I mean, how do you how do you hold a quarterback hostage? How do you be like, no, actually, you're going to play for us? Like, this is supposed to be the leader of the team. Not to mention, by the way, this is a guy who was like the worst starter in the NFL last year. So, like, I, I don't get why they need to cater to him more and let him – uh, hold the team hostage too in terms of dictating what he wants um so it's just a mess right now all around and that's why stats i've been so down on the eagles as a whole it's just like this situation is a mess this is not how a, a normal healthy like winning franchise operates it's just a mess i mean you you traded up to draft this guy uh number two overall you gave up a lot you gave him the big extension and now it sounds like you you might have to trade him for not quite pennies on the dollar, but maybe like a quarter on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. Certainly not the value you would want. Um, certainly not the value that you gave up for him. And this is what I don't understand. Can you explain this to me? I don't understand getting rid of both Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. If you think you got to get rid of, of Carson Wentz, okay. Then you, you bite the bullet, you take the cap hit, and you move it. But Peterson's done his best work without Wentz. So if that was the case, I don't understand why you fire Peterson or 
if you decide the other way around, like I, I, how do you get rid of both of them? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends what you believe. I mean, if you look at that report that came out um, from uh, Eagle Maven and about how Doug Peterson did want Carson Wentz back, then it's like, okay, then why is the organization also getting rid of Doug if Doug wanted to move forward with Wentz? Now, I think Doug Peterson's proposed coaching hires weren't great, but I can't sit here and tell you like Nick Sirianni has brought in some like amazing all-star cast uh, of coaches and like, and him himself is like some amazing coach. So I don't really know how that, that holds up uh, in hindsight. And uh, I just think with Carson Wentz, the, the biggest problem from my end is that I don't know how you can look at him and feel great about him being fixed because it's not just one bad year stats because a lot of Carson Wentz defenders want to say that. And look, I was never a big anti Carson Wentz guy, but when you look at how the fumbles have never gotten better with him, he is 59 in 69 games. That's just too many. And there's no, yeah, there's no sign of it getting better. And the inaccuracy issues have been there all along, too. I mean, you look at his career numbers. It's like he's down in the 30s, except for 2017 when he was 12th. So even that year, he wasn't like um, great. He was just like above average. And all the years after that, he's like 27th, 38th. It's just we're not seeing improvement there. And I think the way Carson Wentz has seemingly handled this, you know, he hasn't spoken himself. But by what I've gleaned from all of this is like he complained to Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman after he was benched. And those reports came out in the media that Carson Wentz didn't want to be here anymore if Jalen Hurts was going to continue to start the rest of the season, which is what happened. So I don't think Carson Wentz fully is accepting the blame. And look, even um, if that's the case and like the organization deserves blame, like I get that. And I think they do to some extent, but if you're the quarterback, you can't have that kind of attitude, right? Like you have to take accountability. You have to be like, okay, you know, this is on me, even if it's not because you're the leader, you want to take that accountability. You want to get better. And I'm just not seeing the signs that show me that Carson Wentz is like all in on doing whatever it takes, not just on his terms, but on taking hard coaching and doing what it takes to become a better player. That's the scary part for me is the combination of the struggles on the field with the seeming refusal to accept any responsibility off the field, which is odd to me because I remember there were reports, I think it was after his rookie year or early in his career, where it was, hey, he's not the best teammate. And in response to those reports, Carson Wentz said, basically, that's right. I have some things I need to work on, which was surprising to me. And I give him a lot of credit for that. So then to see him go from that, who was willing to accept criticism and publicly admit it to now what we're hearing about how he, you know, he doesn't want to run the foals stuff. And, you know, he, he's basically not coachable at all. How do we how did we get there? And that combination makes me want no part of Carson Wentz as an outsider. Yeah, I think part of the problem is the Eagles have enabled him. And that's, that's like, there's blame to go around here. I am not trying to say it is all in Carson Wentz, but it's also not just all in the organization. Cause I see that a lot. This idea, like the Eagles failed Carson Wentz and like he is, he can wash his hands clean. No, you cannot do that. Absolutely not. 
Like you can't be as bad as he was last year and say he deserves zero blame for it or, or even like less than 50%. Like he deserves a ton of blame for how he struggled last year. And I think, again, it goes back to how the organization has enabled him. You know, they, they traded up for him. They gave him this big contract. I think that, you know, kind of shows you like they're really committed to him. And also I just think the way that he, the lines are blurred in terms of power structure in Philly is a big problem. I've t- talked about this before when it comes to Jason Peters. I think I've told you the story stats that like every year um, when the Eagles have weigh-ins, it's standard practice for all players to s- step on the scale and get weighed. And Jason Peters would just tell the coaches his weight. He didn't have to do it. <laughs> but like, and I know that's like, it's kind of funny to me and I actually kind of like it. But on the other hand though, it kind of like shows you there are certain players who are like above on others. And I think that creates a bad culture and a bad dynamic. And I think with Carson Wentz, I don't know if it's stepping on the scale necessarily, but the things I've heard about him uh, verbatim was like, he has a line to the bat phone. Like he can pick that thing up and he can get to Jeffrey Lurie directly. And that's not good. Quarter Like players shouldn't have the direct line to the owner. Like there's, you know, there's a chain of command here. Like the, the players report to the head coach or the general manager, at least before the owner. So, you know, I think there's like a messed up power structure here as well. That's kind of gotten, um, you know, things to the way they are and it probably has created the disappointment for Carson Wentz because you know he's here he's been empowered and then all of a sudden you know he gets benched and he's like wait like I thought I had all the power I don't like this now that I'm not in this spot anymore so the Eagles kind of created this monster basically that's never a good look the bat phone to the owner I don't understand how these owners like they get buddy buddy with these quarterbacks the only situation i can remember where it's like that where it's actually worked out is the patriots other than that anytime the quarterback has the line to the owner whether it's rg3 with dan snyder when he was in washington it just never works out you should because if you have a functioning organization you should never have to use the bat phone there should never be a reason to have to go to ownership because everything should be running smoothly within the team. And clearly that is not the case with the Eagles. And so now we wait. And that's going to be part of this whole quarterback musical chairs offseason. Remember, Adam Schefter, I think, predicted like, what was it? More than half the league's quarterbacks could change teams this offseason. I think he put the over under at 18.5 or so. And took the over. Yeah. That's, that's so crazy. It- So regardless of when it happens, BLG, Carson Wentz is likely going to get traded, which would put him in the ring of these quarterbacks this offseason that could be on the move. Carson Wentz, potentially. Dak Prescott, we don't know. We already have seen Matthew Stafford get moved. Where do you put Carson Wentz in terms of available options if a team needed a quarterback? Uh, Not at the highest point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, again, I I, not to drive it home, not to, to harp on it, Yes, to drive it home, not to harp on it, but it's it's the reality. I mean, he was the worst starter, at least one of the very worst starters in the league last year. I think the only place that I think makes the most sense for him, at least in terms of the acquisition cost too, is the Chicago Bears stats. Because when you look at their situation, I mean, they're desperate. Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace should have been fired already. Let's be honest. And they don't have much more rope than they do right now. And so them giving up assets for Carson Wentz is like the ultimate no-brainer to me because it's like, what do we have to lose? We're probably going to get fired anyway. Why not take the chance that if we can somehow you know, get him back on track, then we're, our jobs are saved. And if not, well, 
we're giving up picks that we're not even going to be here for anyway. So no, mm-hmm. no sweat to us. So I think the Bears make a ton of sense, especially, too, when you consider, and it's an interesting wrinkle here, stats, um, that the Bears have, you know, Wentz's former quarterbacks coach, John Filippo, when he was, you know, MVP-like form in 2017. And they actually just promoted Flip to yep. pass game coordinator in addition to quarterbacks coach. So that's some really mm-hmm. interesting uh, maneuvering right there. I've heard that the, the Wentz relationship with Flip is uh, – not exactly the most amicable one, but it could be a situation where the two realize they they need each other and they bring out the best in each other. So um, I, I think if you're, like, you're the Bears, like that's the move. But, you know, if you're the Colts, let's say, and, you know, like, why are you giving up everything to get Carson Wentz? Like you, you are in a good spot. Frank Reich, Chris Ballard are not on the hot seat. Like you don't need to force a move that could create a toxic situation that could create dysfunction and kind of ruin up a good thing there. I mean, if if they make a move for Sam Darnold by contrast, let's say that makes a little more sense to me because they're thinking long term and um, it's like you're not bringing in this guy into your organization that could kind of just tear everything down and blow up in your face. Let's do it this way. Let's look at some of the potential quarterback options out there. And you tell me if Carson Wentz is a better option, assuming that, you know, try and take price out of it. Just like in terms of just players on the field. Obviously, Deshaun Watson is better than Carson Wentz. We don't need to spend Mm -hmm. a ton of time on that. Dak Prescott. uh, Prescott. (laughs) Right. Okay. Sam Darnold. Uh, We're going like contract and everything here too, right? We're we're including all that. Try Just look at it in terms of, Ability on the field. Um, I'm gonna go with Wentz. You'd rather have Wentz just because of the upside. Okay. What about Jared Goff's already gone? Sorry, Jimmy Garoppolo. He can be had. Uh, I would take Wentz. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. Okay. What about Cam Newton? Uh, wow. I would take Wentz still, just because. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know how healthy Cam is still and everything from last year. Guy had more touchdown or more interceptions than touchdowns last year. Yeah, by a lot, too. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, who apparently was offered up to the Rams in, in their pursuit of, or to the Lions, I should say, in the pursuit of Matt Stafford. Once again, just because of the ceiling. I mean, with Teddy, like, what you saw last year is your ceiling to me with Teddy. Totally fair. Uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater is what he is, which isn't bad, but it isn't great. Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> I'm going to have to take Carson Wentz yet again. Uh, I mean, you know, well, Trubisky looked, you know, better at the end of last year. But I mean, what what is the best he has ever looked and how great have you felt about it? That is a great point with Mitch. I totally agree with you. I've never been on the Mitch train. I want no part of him. Jameis Winston. Yeah, I would take Wentz over Winston even, although kind of some similar turnover issues here. Um, but, I mean, Jameis even worse. Kind but, of? Yeah. Jameis turns the ball over like it's his job. Wentz, you know, before last year was not throwing picks at the rate mm-hmm. that Jameis does. So I'll, I'll take Carson. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Hmm. You know, that really is – that's so context-dependent. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a young team, like – or a team kind of like the Bears, what does Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't do anything for them? Mm-hmm. Um, like if, but you're if you're a team like Washington, maybe let's say, and you're kind of just like need that quarter, you're like that one piece away kind of from you know, I mean, not that Fitzpatrick's going to be a long term answer for them, but they could make a playoff run with Ryan Fitzpatrick with that tough defense that they have. They just need a quarterback. He shouldn't be their their like 
first option, but if they kind of miss out on other things and they can get him, well, at least you upgraded from Alex Smith and everything that they had last year. So kind of context dependent. Um, I would take Fitzpatrick depending on if it's a win now move though. And what Alex Smith, I assume from what you just said that you take Wentz over Alex Smith. Yeah. I mean, just, I I don't know where, I mean, Alex Smith by the end of last season stats didn't look like he could like move very much and they, and they couldn't, they had to, they they didn't play in the playoff game. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. So basically what you just told me, uh, you know, you've been pounding on Carson Wentz, but what you just said is other than Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott, you take Wentz over all those other available quarterbacks. That's a good way to put it, Stats. I never thought about it that way. (laughs) I never put it in that context. But again, um, so that's important because that is the reality of the landscape and you have to take that and the context into account. But just in a vacuum, I mean, you, you can't be feeling great about Wentz. And also, like, if we're talking about his value, it's just such like a weird position because it seems inevitable that the Eagles are going to move on for, from him. So if you're these other teams, like, why are you giving up like the farm for him? Because it doesn't really seem like there's this crazy lucrative market to get him. And the con, you know, we sort of did it in a vacuum. And like you said, age and contract are obviously huge factors when it comes to this. But if you're the Eagles, I mean, you're trying to drum up the Colts and the Bears, right? That is the the price, the the market that you're willing to try and hope that they keep bidding against each other. But your point about the Colts is a good one. There's no reason for them to engage in any kind of bidding war because while you could see a fit for Carson Wentz there, are they that much worse if they ended up with? a Sam Darnold or a Teddy Bridgewater or a Jimmy Garoppolo? Probably not. Yeah, I just don't see them. They're not the same desperation level that the Bears are at. I don't think they need to to rush to overpay for Carson Wentz. If they can get Carson Wentz at their price, then absolutely. That makes total sense. It's totally worth taking a shot. But I just don't think um, the Colts are going to want to overpay. I don't think they will. I think Carson Wentz probably wants to go to the Colts over the Bears and that's an interesting dynamic because if he's like, I don't want to play for the Bears, I'm not going to play for them, and I'm only going to play for the Colts, then while well, that becomes kind of a, a tough pickle to sort out, although um, there there is buzz, and I don't really know how much I buy at stats because when I hear that other teams are involved for Carson Wentz too, uh. I make that out to be uh, uh, actually no one is, or, <laughs> or maybe it's being like stretched. It's like this team checked in on Carson Wentz and said, hey, what's his cost? And the Eagles were like, two first round picks or whatever. And they hung up the phone instantly. I saw your 49ers were uh, checking out Carson Wentz from what I heard, but I just, I can't, I'm not expecting that to like seriously happen. Yeah, I agree. The famous mystery team. That's the Scott Boris trick where you always throw, Oh, there's a mystery <laughs> team involved. Well, that's convenient for you, isn't it? Let's just take my word for it. There's another team involved. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Just, just <laughs> trust me on this, even though I've got everything to gain from another team getting involved. Um, one last bit of news before we go. Patrick Mahomes is going to have surgery on Wednesday for his toe injury with turf toe or whatever the case may be. I think we are going to find out after the surgery that, oh, it wasn't turf toe. It was a broken toe or a torn ligament or we're going to find out the severity of that injury. Yeah. Um, you know, look, uh, for as much as, you know, the, the Bucks defense was great and they deserve all the credit for that. And I, again, I, I, I said Todd Bowles should really be the, the true Super Bowl MVP. And that's something I regret, by the way, talking, just going back to the Bucks doubt earlier. I didn't give Todd Bowles enough respect like I should have. I do regret that much. Um, but yeah, going back to the Mahomes of it all, 
uh, it's kind of crazy how, you know, it was going into what the championship game, you know, and, and just even in the divisional round where you're seeing him kind of limp around against the Browns, you know, and then he obviously has the concussion. It's like, man, this is, uh, this is dicey. And all of a sudden, you know, then he's back there in the Super Bowl and he doesn't have anyone to protect him. Um, it's tough. It's, it's a tough spot. And it, it kind of gives you, I guess, a good feeling. I think Pete Swinney even kind of talked about this in just terms of the long term. Like Mahomes is probably going to be in better shape in this in the future. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, he ran 497 yards before a sack or a pass in the Super Bowl. So that toe injury might have felt some kind of way before the game. After the game, I'm sure it was just killing him. But hopefully he gets the surgery, he's okay, and he's right, healthy, and back, ready to go in 2021. That's going to do it for this edition of the SB Nation NFL Show. Again, I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. You can follow me on Twitter, at Stats on Fire. You can follow BLG on Twitter, at Brandon Gouton. I remembered it this week. Props yes. to me. Good job, Stats. I'm, I'm really proud of you. Uh, keep those ratings and reviews coming. We appreciate it, and we'll read them, as always. Of course, we appreciate the reviews. Please keep those coming all off-season long because we will be here with you no matter what kind of craziness ensues. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. 